this. Look at this strange view. Two floating heads talking to you today from Freightonomics. Welcome uh, to the show. Got a little bit of a different format today. Don't get thrown off. You're still watching Freightonomics, the show where we combine the freight market data with that macroeconomic environment, give you a full view of what's going on in the supply chain. And not with me here today, Anthony Smith, our chief economist, <laughs> sitting over in his apartment, uh, and Zach Strickland, head of freight market intelligence. That's right. Thankfully, Zach, my internet is a little bit better this time compared to last time I was remote. And thankfully, I'm just right across the street with a little bit of COVID to go along with it. <laughs> Some summer Rona. Uh, yeah, the, the, the you know, it still, it still persists, uh, but you sound well. I'm getting better. I'm feeling. I'm. I'm still a little bit loopy. So if I say something a little bit crazier than usual, you know what? I'm. I'm going to blame it on Rona. You know what? I'm here for it. Uh, let's hope that we get a few of those gems as we as we progress on. Uh, I will of course be here for you through that. And you know, the theme of today's show is kind of what's. How do we make sense of this current? freight market environment that we're in. We're seeing some uptick. Now it's going to be invisible to a lot of people because we still have abundant capacity in the truck truckload sector, uh, really covering up any kind of demand uh, changes that we've seen. We've been talking about demand going up a little bit throughout the month of July, and now it's sustained into August. Uh, but macroeconomically, Anthony, we're still not really on the most stable surface, are we? No, I think it's very unstable, especially when you look at things at the consumer side. This is going to be the thing or almost a theme that we've been talking about for the last year or so when we start to see credit card debt really started to accelerate again, non-revolving debt going back up again as well in a very strong way. Actually, it never really quite stopped overall compared to credit card utilization or revolving credit utilization. Savings rates dwindling. So the big thing, of course, that's been holding this all together has been the labor market. And I think that uh, definitely has a few cracks in it. And I think we'll start to see some of those cracks show um, as we get a little bit further deeper into 2023. Yeah, and I want to hit those up. But first, let's go ahead and set the table with the freight market uh, data. Let's give the people a little market in two. If you want to count me in from your apartment, uh, let me... let me. That's right. <laughs> and three, two, one, go. All right. The first chart that we have to show you today is the outbound tender rejection index. And I show this one because it is by far the most interesting data point that I've been looking at over the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, we didn't have a show last week, so I didn't get to talk about it, but it was it, this rise throughout August. Now, this is not seasonal. This is not normally what we would see this time of year, just kind of like the tender volume data increased throughout the month of July, atypically. Tender rejection rates increasing in front of Labor Day by this amount and then topping July 4th values in the middle of August is extremely unusual. So one of the big driving factors in the tender rejection rate increase, regionally speaking, if we go to the next chart here, uh, we have them broken down. This is a spaghetti chart. All you need to know, Midwest and West Coast rejection rates increasing have been the biggest driving force. Uh, but point behind this uh, recent increase in rejection rates. Now, that's not saying that there weren't increases other places. Uh, the Northeast had a little bit of one as well. But the point is, is that rejection rates are increasing all over the country. Uh, the West Coast and the Midwest are the strongest points to take away from this. And what that means, though, is that this is that long-haul freight corridor, replenishment freight coming out of Los Angeles, Southern California, 
uh, coming out of Dallas, going into Chicago, and then going eventually into that northeastern corridor. This is that upstream freight movement that we're talking about. Let's go to the next chart uh, that shows the demand is not falling off. It is still remaining relatively high. This plateau throughout the months of July and into uh, August, really unusual. Starting to see it maybe a little bit waning a little bit, but not enough to really make a difference. And then last but not least, let's go to the last chart, which is the spot rates. Spot rates, including fuel flat, spot rates excluding fuel and the orange line starting to tick down a little bit. So overall, the demand and, uh, you know, it's not really showing up in the rates just yet. And I feel like that's been another theme as well. I mean, Zach, I was seeing capacity just be incredibly loose over the last almost seems like forever since you know post-covid and we've seen just an influx of you know of trucks on the road demand start to ease on the good side services pick up capacity really continues to increase and rates really have just been in the dumpster especially where i mean we're looking at uh, the spot market can you talk to i think this really this this unseasonably surge that we're seeing this time of the year it seems to be like okay it started, we were watching like, okay, this is cool. Maybe it's just going to be like a little blip, but it continues to like really persist here. Yeah, I, I think this is, it. it is odd. But I mean, if you look at the data, it supports this early replenishment cycle that we typically see uh, start for trucking and uh, and rail as well in September and October. This is that freight that's, that's that Christmas freight. <laughs> you know, it gets off the big boats, big ships. Sorry if that's offensive to people <laughs> to use the term boats, but it is a, you know, it is what it is. The natural pre-COVID supply chain retail run was come from China slash Asia, get off the boat in Los Angeles, get onto the rail and truck in September, October, heading into these regional distribution centers in the East Coast where most of the population lives. And then it sits there for a week or two before they start running, you know, their sales and all the things, getting the retail boom uh, going. And this pattern looks like that, but not really. You know, I, I think the the fact that it's sustained at this level for this long is a little bit anomalous. And I think it supports the concept that some of these retailers uh, and maybe some of the manufacturers, it's, it's hard to tell. We don't know exactly who is uh, driving majority of this. We can only kind of postulate here. But it's it just looks like maybe they ran through some of their inventories a little bit quicker than they thought they would, maybe running some discounts. But also, and I think this is the more optimistic viewpoint, and I want your take on this one, Anthony. Do you think that we're actually seeing some of these guys project a decent fourth quarter environment? I mean, I, I think if we go back to some of the quarterly calls that we've heard, there's just been so many um, folks echoing the sentiment that they expect that they're latter half of the year or the remaining parts of the year are going to be a little bit weaker. I think with a few exceptions, Walmart being one of them, which I think boosted their expectations um, uh, in the closing you know, quarters here. So I think that's going to be one of the big things to watch. And really, when we're seeing some of these potential pull forwards, or not really pull forwards, but just uh, potential inventory replenishment, are these people, are these are these companies going to be pulling in this inventory with these higher expectations and then being kind of left at the dance alone with no one there to make these purchases? Because as we get into the latter half of the year, I think, of course, we're going to see that good spending, of course, with holiday. But I don't think services 
are definitely just going to just, you know, fall by the wayside in terms of the split overall. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see how service spending compares this year compared to potentially previous years when we look at that split overall. Yeah. And I want to get to the Walmart discussion here in a minute, because I think there is something interesting going on in the retail sector, especially the big box uh, side of things. And we have a story to cover there. But first, I want to talk about the freight side a little bit. J uh, John Paul Hampstead uh, wrote this article. Uh, he interviewed uh, a fellow from Uber Freight, uh, Mazen Danaf, uh, an MIT-trained staff applied scientist and economist at Uber Freight, uh, has been tracking the evolution of trucking capacity in the United States, trying to make sense of the dogged persistence of loose capacity in a challenging, depressed rates environment. Well, a, a mouthful there. But uh, essentially, he goes on to talk about how the the current market has been unsustainably loose, as we've talked about numerous times. Uh, but one of the reasons of the persistence of the looseness has been this concept that these owner operators are just leasing back into larger carriers and larger fleets. And that's keeping capacity, you know, it's not parking a truck and capacity is not exiting, but it's keeping capacity around a little bit longer in this cycle. And that's helping kind of mask, you know, the demand side stuff that I was talking about in July, keeping those, you know, yeah, rejection rates are on the rise, but they only got up to 4%. <laughs> and that's a that's a key point there. That's going to feel about as loose as a 3% rejection rate. That's a 96% acceptance. Cares are still showing up plenty. It's just marginally less. It's it's not it's barely noticeable. So, the environment's super loose and it's largely due to the fact that there's still a lot of padding uh, as these drivers kind of hold on and this capacity holds on in an environment that had ample cash flow after the pandemic. Yeah, and I think um, as we continue to move forward, I think it's, it's been kind of wild to just see how much folks have held on um, throughout this time frame, and especially some of the smaller operators. And you have to think, okay, how much money did you make throughout the pandemic and all these months where, you know, getting was good and really being able to kind of pad your pockets? And I start to think I can only wonder now, smaller operations um, maybe medium-sized fleets or, or maybe even larger operations. I wouldn't say some of the mega carriers, but I, I think they'll start to get to the point where it's going to get into desperation. And I can only imagine that we'll start to see more maybe equipment, equipment being sold in order to make ends meet just to stay in the game a little bit longer. And then, of course, you see um, some of that uh, adding on to or acquiring smaller operators to kind of bring them on and, and, and as well. So I think it's definitely going to be intriguing to see how this all plays out as we continue to see really the impacts of this incredibly loose market has on the entire supply chain. Yeah, he goes on to cite the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, for general freight trucking and long haul trucking uh, numbers and how they're relatively, you know, it's kind of a smooth transition. I think the chart was basically, and I, I should have probably pulled this up, but there's this little a slight turn down. It's it's now finally coming down. But I think what would surprise a lot of people is that it didn't really start turning down till just the last couple of months. Uh, and we've arguably been in a very downward, you know, kind of a softening cycle in trucking since March of 2022. So this concept that we're just now starting to see the employment figures reflect uh, kind of this contraction I think would be surprising to most. Does that surprise you in any way? I, I think, I mean, somewhat, and I guess too. I want to add. I, I want to add one thing to that to throw this back to the Economist. 
Do you think this is actually kind of endemic in not just transportation, but some of our other uh, economic sectors? Because this is this was surprising to me. I hadn't looked at this BLS figure in a while. I didn't realize it hadn't reflected a strong downward movement uh, just yet. And of course, this includes back office as well. And that makes me think, okay, maybe the jobs market itself, and I think you've been talking about this, throughout the United States has actually been holding on a little bit longer than it probably should have potentially. Yeah. And I think uh, you're right. Is one of the points that we're talking about maybe six or eight months ago when we first kind of looked at the labor market and with some suspicion and really how some employers are going to react to the you know, current conditions. Because of course, we went through the great resignation. Everyone just shifted roles. And then we had um, of course, brain drain with a, a lot of baby boomers exiting the workforce. And then we had a lot of women that exited the workforce that are now, you know, thankfully kind of getting back in there. I think the participation rate has recovered fully from uh, the pandemic times. But really, one of the big things that we we're talking about throughout, you know, about six or eight months ago was that there's going to be a little bit more hesitancy, I think, in the macro economy in terms of labor and those employers getting rid of some of, you know, some some of the the employees on staff, especially when we saw you know how hard they w were really kind of having to navigate that market to bring folks on throughout the pandemic. So I think we're looking at you know moving forward. Of course, we've seen layoffs in Silicon Valley, tech things like that, but we haven't seen a large you know layoff in you know services, hospitality, leisure, things like that, restaurants, um, and a lot of other sectors that would be more service uh, facing. And of course, we have other smaller sectors that are going to be, um, you know, really, really a tight labor market. We're looking at like teachers, things like that, um, hospital workers. But really, overall, I think we're looking at the private sector. There's going to be a lot of individuals that are going to be holding on a little bit longer just because finding that labor was so difficult throughout the pandemic. They don't want to go back to that. And I think that's going to be a big thing in a lot of people's minds just to hold on as long as possible. And that means that if there is a shift, that it could be a little bit more of a harder spike up in unemployment potentially as we start to get into the later months of the year. Yeah, especially as we enter some seasonal uh, periods where some of the sectors are a little bit softer than others. And speaking of other sectors, he cites that the automotive freight demand is still strong because inventories haven't recovered in that industry yet. Um, you know, inventories of non-durable and durable goods, excluding automotive, have all normalized. Uh, but automotive manufacturers and suppliers still have less than one month's worth of inventory on hand. So he's basically saying that the automotive sector is kind of the key to understanding the, the some of these conflicting numbers, you know, in our macroeconomic environment. He's talking about the PMI specifically in this article and how you know, you mix the automotive manufacturing stuff with some of the other manufacturing uh, sectors, they're very polarizing. Uh, so they're almost like leveling the aggregate figure out. Do you think that that's something we're at risk for uh, seeing kind of fall off later in the year? Oh, 100%. I think um, one of the big areas that I think are going to be at risk are going to be, um, we talk about, of course, all the time, revolving credit, but non-revolving credit. I think um, big ticket purchases, of course, as we see the effects of those increased interest rates that have been going on for quite some time, are going to take hold and continue to develop, not just, um, you know, I would say, hey, right now, but really these impacts are going to be felt all the way into, I think, the the deeper parts of 2024. Um, even after the Fed uh, starts to cut, I think we'll start to see some of the effects of those interest rate increases. 
I think also when we're looking at inventory levels, I think it's going to be, of course, I'm not no automotive economist, but I, I do think there's going to be some discrepancies depending on what segment you're looking at. So I, I would say, you know, if I had to kind of take a, a shot at the dark, that inventories are going to be a little bit more healthier for the higher end vehicles right now. I think really um, with the state of the consumer, the demand for, uh, I would say, more affordable vehicles is going to be hard pressed to find it. You're going to be hard pressed to find a vehicle under 30,000, especially uh, new. And so I think those are going to be some of the inventory levels where it's definitely going to be tight inventories. When I look at overall durable goods, I think there is going to be definitely some of that, like you said, um, upward pressure from automotive. Um, but I think we're going to have to also look at some of the more volatile segments. So, of course, one of them is going to be non-defense aircrafts, which can really start to swing some of the numbers as well. The latest durable goods report came out down over 5% in, uh, this morning. A lot of it really came down to a big shift downward from uh, aircraft. So I think that's going to be another big one to watch as well as you look at what's going on within manufacturing and overall industrial production. There has been some boost as well from the utilities component as well, but really manufacturing, I don't have the highest hopes overall going into the fourth quarter. Yeah, I, I think there, there's a lot of conflicting messages. And I think it's because we're still dealing with a lot of this kind of independent, like the aggregate figures kind of average out to a certain amount. And it's masking some of these strong differences between sectors and industries. Uh, you know, the automotive one, I think, has been kind of an outlier compared to some of these others uh, going on. And I think we're also seeing some of the things that are propping up freight demand in our tender data are supply chain uh, changes. So there's a lot of moving parts uh, going on. And I want to just cite uh, the chart of the week article real quickly here because I think that's it's also an indication. So we're talking about automotive having a stronger uh, I guess, recovery cycle versus the retail consumer goods side. Uh, and now I'm talking about how geographically speaking, supply chain reorganization is also kind of helping prop up freight demand a little bit as some of these companies reposition their goods at different points in a supply chain. Supply chain diversification, a huge component and a big initiative this year. Um, as we're coming out of that COVID noise where everybody was trying to get out of this over-reliance on Asian goods and manufacturing, the border markets of Laredo, McAllen have tripled over the last three years in terms of total outbound freight demand. And it's just the tip of the iceberg by a lot of people's estimates. Um, the Phoenix market also getting a nice boost here as a lot of these companies are moving their, uh, their warehousing inland away from that expensive real estate and overcrowded area the inland empire uh southern california houses that it's not a hard job to get that freight a little bit further inland uh into a phoenix market which honestly is largely oversupplied so i think we've got a few moving parts here that are really helping prop up this demand i think the second part of that equation is far more sustainable because supply chain reorganization has a long way to go here so I think that would be the thing that I would kind of put my the feather in my hat on in terms of like overall positive uh, inflection points. I think some of these sector bubbles are just that uh, moving into the last part of the year. Do you think that's a, a valid assumption? Oh, for sure. I think um, there. I think there are a few bubbles building um, right now uh, that are definitely going to come to uh, the light as we get to the wards of their in the, the latter part of the year, um, the final months here. 
really my eyes are going to be on the fourth quarter um, going into first quarter of 2024, where we really are seeing, I think, of course, we're going to be, we've been tested uh, this entire year, 2023 so far, um, with really consumer stamina overall, um, how businesses are going to be able to hold up. They've been holding up for the most part. And so I think um, when we get closer and closer to this, I think, crucial time of the year, especially uh, with the Fed interest rate increases, um, potentially more expected, the, the, the catch is here. Um, if we start to see that consumers remain resilient um, and continue to spend and the job market holds, despite any kind of lowered or easing in the overall inflation number, if you're measuring with the PCE index or the CPI, the job market and ongoing consumer activity will give the Fed enough fuel to say, all right, I think the economy can handle some more uh, rate increases. So it's almost like a catch-22, even though the Fed is looking to really manufacture a soft landing here, you can go a bit far because, like I said, these impacts of the increase interest rates are going to be felt into 2024. And I think we have a lot of uh, some potential headwinds when we look at energy prices really going to start to, I think, add to the overall interest rate. I'm sorry, uh, uh, inflation rate uh, calculation overall. Yeah, I think I think the fact that we're we're talking about aggregate figures in the economy sometimes we're especially in an environment like this where there's so many moving parts and so many things kind of acting independent of each other. We're we're out of sync. <laughs> uh, as, as I was talking to Thomas Wasson earlier today, I think that was a good way of putting it, where the economy is out of sync. We used to have these connections and correlations between sectors, between industries that we just don't have anymore. And even within the retail sector, and this is what I want to kind of close the show with, is Walmart released their earnings. Um, and they talk about having uh, a stronger than expected uh, second quarter uh, revenue growth of 5.7% paced by a 6.4% gain in U.S. same-store sales and an overall operating income increase of 6.7% year-on-year. Um, the company saw gains across all its lines, even general merchandise activity, which was down year-over-year, year, is holding up better than I would have guessed, said uh, CEO Doug McMillan. So meanwhile, Target reporting a 5.4% drop in sales year-over-year. This to me is interesting in the way that this is a this is a this is a recessionary signal in my mind, Anthony, in the way that Walmart showing pretty strong, robust sales, uh, discount items. They've got food and grocery too, which also kind of differentiates them from Target. Target does have food and and grocery, but not to the extent Walmart does. Uh, it just looks like people are consumers are trading down within the retail sector and. This is exactly what happens every single economic slowdown period. Is this, is the inflationary figure of, you know, even though those items are discounted, the aggregate numbers themselves are still elevated because the discounted items got some inflationary pressure uh, through all the supply chain stuff last year. Is that helping kind of, you know, propel us forward down this rate increase path with the Fed? Oh, 100%, I think. Um, and then also, I think a great point um, made earlier around how the economy is just not in sync right now. Um, we talk about a freight recession without a macro recession. Within a macro economy, there can be subsectors within the economy that can go through recession. There can be a manufacturing recession, different segments within manufacturing, um, like we were talking about earlier, 
that are going to be propped up by, um, you know, automotive or, or maybe machinery, whatever it might be. So I think um, it's a great point that there are going to be some really um, disconnections within the macro economy. I think we're looking at uh, in terms of the the aggregate number. I think Wall Street. I, I'm, not, I'm not the biggest stock guy or finance, uh, you know, guy, anything like that. But I think we're looking at um, the results. I think a lot of the results are going to be boosted up by um, these aggregate results, not really so much so adjusted for inflation. So I think that's going to be a big thing that's going to prop up expectations or really. Um, make results seem a little bit better than what they might be overall. So I think that's going to be a big thing. And I think for sure, consumers are going to be a little bit more discretionary, not that they're going to stop altogether because this is America, of course, who's going to just stop shopping for goods and services in the U.S. That's not a thing. You have to trade down. You have to maybe find a little bit of a better deal. So I think maybe the onus is going to be on some folks having some of those deals coming up uh, this, this holiday season. Golly, dude, so much going on here. I think I want to rename the show. I had a bad title at first. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to call it. I think I want to rename it Out of Sync. I hope they haven't posted anything on that. What do you think about that? Are you talking about my video? You talking about my video, Out of Sync? <laughs> out of Sync. Oh, Look at you. It worked uh, the entire show. Have a great week. <laughs>